and welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, and let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and this is episode 97 as we march towards episode 100, the big centennial of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. And I'd like to thank you for all your support throughout these previous episodes and your continued support as we move forward with the show. Hey, did you survive a day that will live in infamy for this generation? October 4, 2021, the great Facebook slash Instagram blackout. Did you survive? Come up on the show. Let's take a look at Facebook. What's going on? A whistleblower spilling the beans, giving away all the dirty deeds, done dirt cheap, but for major profit. How's Facebook responding? There was a series in the Wall Street Journal that the whistleblower gave a lot of information, a a treasure trove of documents, as they say. And so they ran with it and did a a multi-part series in the Wall Street Journal. And if you feel inclined, I think it's subscription-based, but maybe you can get a trial subscription if you want to check it out and read it. And there's, I think, some podcasting that goes along with it. But if you really want to know the inside scoop, you can uh, check out the Wall Street Journal. The whistleblower also uh, came out and did uh, 60 Minutes. Frances Haugen is her name. She went on 60 Minutes on uh, the Sunday night before, so that would be, what, October 3rd, and had about a 15-minute segment talking about all the different things, kind of an abbreviated version, and you can find that online as well. But then October 4th, the blackout. You missed it. Could not get on Facebook. Could not get on Instagram. And maybe you didn't realize at the time that it was a a global outage. Maybe you just thought the internet in your area was down or maybe a phone wasn't functioning properly or maybe Facebook was going through some maintenance. But no, they had a global outage. And if you didn't know, 60% of the global internet usage, so basically 60% of the population that is on the internet uses Facebook. That's a lot of people. Instagram, Instagram. A lot of people too. I don't know if it's the same, but there's a lot of people on those social media platforms that weren't able to access it. Now, here's my quick synopsis. So you have the Wall Street Journal, bad press for Facebook. You have the whistleblower coming out on 60 Minutes, bad publicity for Facebook. Then the whistleblower was going to testify on uh, Capitol Hill about everything, bad news for Facebook. So what does Facebook decide to do? Now, this is just my speculation, but it's ingenious if this is the case. So since a lot of people depend on Facebook, what they did was they cut the cord, turn you off, can't access it. So everyone's up in arms perhaps about all the dirty deeds done dirt cheap for big profits. And so Facebook cuts you. Now you're panicking. I can't access Facebook. I can't get online. I can't post my pictures, get my likes on Instagram. How am I going to post my Instagram stories? Then when it comes back on, everybody's relieved and cheers. Hey, it's back on. We can use it again. Now nobody cares about those dirty deeds done dirt cheap for mega profit. I was actually talking to somebody, and uh, they work for a uh, cosmetic company, Mary Kay, 
and they were mentioning how um, she was mentioning how much she didn't actually realize she kind of forgotten about how much work and business she conducts through Facebook. And um, she lost out on an entire day's work because of it. And so how many of us use Facebook for work purposes? I know I try to use Facebook and social media to promote the show, put clips out there, put the show out there for you to enjoy and to try to spread the word. So, you know, it's not really technically a business, but it's a, something of personal interest that I try to get out there beyond the pictures and and uh, videos and things that I would post. But as we get into the conversation about social media, and we've talked about it a few times, I think a couple times on the show, but more specifically, wanted to get into the foundational. So we talked about it one time, and uh, there was the documentary, Netflix documentary, this, um, The Social Experiment, or The Social Dilemma. I'm sorry, The Social Dilemma. It's about the social media and everything that's going on. So it's on Netflix. You can watch it, The Social Dilemma. And there was a lot of information that was put out there. And then as things come out, stuff that was promoted or talked about on that documentary are just being reinforced. Maybe articles and studies and things that you have read about the negative effects of social media. Now, again, let's set the table. All social media is not all bad. There's good components, good aspects, and of course there's bad components and bad aspects. There are great people on there. There are evil people on there. Just like the rest of the world, it's just an online community and it's all the same reflecting that of real people. Although I think some people online like their online persona better than their real person. But so with that being said, there are still a lot of negative effects, especially for young people, especially for young women, young girls, that social media has caused and is still causing. And Facebook, in case you missed it, they were trying to develop a platform that would even target the, I guess, tweens or the preteens, you know, the younger people tapping into a new market because there's money to be made there. There's a new culture to cultivate there, new people to get addicted to their websites, their social media platforms. Anyways, so uh, as things come out, it's just kind of being layered on top of each other. So you have a, a documentary talking about some of the ill effects of social media. Then you have a whistleblower coming out and kind of reinforcing those things. And, you know, we've seen some uh, congressional testimony by some of the big tech bigwigs. And everything just becomes foundational. So it leads you to believe that, that there's some truth to this. It wasn't just whistleblowers blowing the whistle on the bad things or, you know, these people who used to work for the companies now coming out against uh, some of the things that the companies are doing. It's all becoming foundational and it's all becoming foundational over a period of time, which means there's consistency in the things that they're talking about. So the first question you have to uh, ask yourself is how much time do you spend on social media? How often do I look at it? Probably every hour. 14 times a day. I mean, sometimes I even have to put an alarm for myself. There have been times where I thought, maybe I should delete my Instagram, you know, just because I don't really want to deal with it. But then I think, what would I do with my life? So that clip was taken from a documentary from, I believe, 2019 called The Social Animals. It showcased three individuals. There was a photographer in New York who would do extreme photography, basically trespass to like high rises and construction sites and bridges and things, be places he shouldn't be, take pictures and stuff. There was another gal who was an influencer, a young teen, 
an influencer that had like at the time of the documentary had like 500,000 or grew to 500,000 followers. And she was trying to be an influencer with fashion and things like that. And then there was just a Midwest girl, the neighbor next door type that really struggled with social media and her experience, experience with social media ultimately led her to try to commit suicide. So you have these three different individuals and I've got a clip from Emma, the girl next door from the Midwest on her uh, take on social media coming up in a little bit. But that was the first documentary that I heard that really addressed the question of how much time do we put on social media? And then when you get to the social experiment, these are people that actually developed Facebook, developed the like button for Facebook, developed Instagram, were part of Twitter, all these things. And these were the people that worked for these companies, developed these things, and they found that they were becoming addicted to their own platform that they were developing. And it's interesting how addiction becomes a part of this whole thing. But what was your reaction? What was your reaction to the blackout? Did you survive? Did you go through withdrawals? Were there other platforms that you fled to to get your fix? Or were you okay? Now, for me, I was okay. Granted, I was working, and so I didn't have time to just sit on social media. But I don't think that one day, social media being down, I would care too much. It doesn't affect me like it would if you had a business. Or it wouldn't affect me if you were trying to promote your brand on a regular basis. Okay, I used to be on it more, but I've scaled back. Those that follow me might realize that. But the question is, how much time do you spend? And what is it that you're getting from it? So Francis Haugen is the Facebook whistleblower that we all found out uh, on 60 Minutes. She used to work for Google and Pinterest. So she does have some, actually a lot, of um, kind of big tech experience. And so one of the things that in the course of this conversation she was having on 60 Minutes, she concluded, or I don't want to say accused, but let's say concluded, that Facebook basically amplifies hate, in her opinion. They amplify misinformation, which all leads to, in this day and age, political unrest. She also came to the conclusion through her time at Facebook and these documents that she took and passed on to the Wall Street Journal and then to 60 Minutes, is that Instagram harms teenage girls. Now, we've known about this for a while, but again, it's foundational. Another person coming out who worked for the company, Instagram harms teenage girls. So what she did, Frances Haugen, she uh, copied tens of, uh, tens of thousands of documents, okay? Just a little background in case you want uh, a little synopsis. And she found out that through all this information that Facebook would respond to as little as 3 to 5% of the hate that was on there. You know, we all get those fact checks, right? Or now it's the COVID-19 thing, which is going to get flagged because I said COVID-19. But so you get these COVID-19 flag things for more information, click here, click here. But there's a lot of hate going on. And they wanted to ban, you know, the former president for hate speech. But it really, according to these documents, Facebook only really has action to upwards of only 5% of the hate that goes on and less than 1% of the violence and the incitement that Facebook causes, according to Francis Haugen. So again, I'm laying the foundation for our conversation just so you get an idea. She said hate speech, divisive political speech, and misinformation that is being spread on Facebook 
is affecting societies around the world. Facebook is a $1 trillion company. 17 years ago is when Facebook started, or at least became a popular enough platform on social media. 2.8 billion users on Facebook, which is, like I said, 60% of all internet-connected people on Earth. Now, when it comes to Instagram, and we'll delve into this in a little bit, a little bit later on, but Instagram, 13% increase in young girls regarding thoughts of suicide. So increase has gone up, or thoughts of suicide has increased and gone up 13%. Eating disorders have gone up 17%. Frances Haugen, in all her information that she gathered, has basically come to the conclusion that Instagram is a platform that is dangerous for young girls. Now, I know a lot of other people have thought about that, and a lot of other people have come to that same conclusion, but that was her conclusion. And again, you might, not, you might already know that or read that some other place, but again, it's foundational. You know, it's one thing for big tech to sit up on Capitol Hill and promise that they're going to do better or promise that they are trying, but there's a lot of people out there, 2.8 billion people using Facebook, you know, and so, so yeah, some things might get swept under the table. But as the years go by, and the promises by big tech are still being made to correct these issues, but yet people are still coming out, insiders knowing what's going on and producing evidence and documents. Is much really changing? And if not, why would that be? I think I've got an answer for you coming up. So during the um, conversation on 60 Minutes, the um, whistleblower she talked about the Facebook algorithms. Now, we all know there's algorithms that dictate what we see on social media, dictate what we see on Instagram, and it can be frustrating because it might go against promoting our stuff. Or it might be great because our stuff gets promoted all the time. I'm amazed that sometimes I'll post something and it will hit and it will get a lot of views. And then I'll post something I think is like, oh, this is going to be exceptional. It's going to get a lot of views, a lot of comments, and then nothing. It's a crapshoot, right? Right? But here's what she said about those Facebook algorithms that really now start to delve into the conversation that we're going to have about this. You have your phone. You might see only 100 pieces of content if you sit and scroll off for, you know, five minutes. But Facebook has thousands of options it could show you. And one of the consequences of how Facebook is picking out that content today is it is optimizing for content that gets engagement or reaction. But its own research is showing that content that is hateful, that is divisive, that is polarizing, it's easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. Facebook has realized that if they change the algorithm to be safer, people will spend less time on the site, they'll click on less ads, they'll make less money. Interesting. So the safer Facebook is the less engagement there is, and the less money to be made. Again, most things usually come down to the Benjamins, the dollars, the profits that can be made. So you talk about engagements. You know, there's a TikTok, a lot of kind of memes or videos going around where you lay in bed at 9 o'clock at night and you want to check TikTok and you're still up at 4 a.m. checking videos, right? Engagement. Things that pop up in your social media feeds. Why is it? 
I believe the social experiment talks about that, and it mentions that what I see in my feed could be very different from what you see in your feeds, which means that we have two different views. If we look through the lens of social media, we have two different views on what the world is like. Remember all that political unrest the last maybe four or five years that we've had because of social media? A lot of fighting, a lot of people losing friends, a lot of people blocking each other, breaking up, making it Facebook official by breaking up on social media, right? Because it's easier to inspire people to anger than any other emotion. I mean, think about that. You put that out there and imagine an algorithm that says, okay, what can I generate on people's feeds to make them angry? Could it even be the truth? Or is it just misinformation? Because the longer you're engaged, how many times have you had a multi back and forth conversation posts on uh, Facebook, let's say, with somebody been in a disagreement? could be over the vaccines, it could be over masking, it could be over politics. You went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Every time you post something, it's an engagement. Every time you read something, it's an engagement. Every time you have an engagement, that could lead to profits for the company. And so uh, according to the whistleblower, the algorithm is designed for us to be engaged from a perspective of anger. Maybe that anger turns to then hatred. Remember, 2.8 billion people on Facebook. I don't think that includes Instagram. So how many different unique users are on Instagram and these other social media platforms? And anger? Is it no wonder why the world is angst right now? Is it no wonder that society can't stand each other, that we're so divisive? We've said it all along. I've said it multiple times on this show. If you get your information from Facebook then you're probably getting misinformation. If you're getting your information from social media, according to the documentary, The Social Experiment, false information travels six times faster on Twitter than the truth. So you see what's coming? So all this stuff that we're fighting about is designed to incite us to fight so a profit can be made, at least according to Francis Haugen, which again becomes foundational when you start looking at these other documentaries and these other reports and other stories and stuff that you listen to from testimony on Capitol Hill, it starts to become pretty serious. But then we have this anger, right? So what do we do with it? Do we turn it off? Do we turn off social media and go do something else? I remember I was listening to a uh, an afternoon drive talk show in Los Angeles and I'd do it on my ride home. And by the time I got home, I was angst. I was upset. I was mad. And then I realized that the talk show was getting me riled up talking about the things that they were talking about. So I decided that I'd listen to music on the ride home. Do a talk radio for a while on the ride home. Because you got traffic. You've just finished your work day. And now you're getting riled up by a talk show. So I changed it. I turned it off. But with social media, it's a little different because the angrier we get, it seems like we consume more. So instead of turning it off, we engage more. It's one of these unfortunate consequences, right? No one at Facebook is malevolent, but the incentives are misaligned, right? Like Facebook makes more money when you consume more content. People enjoy engaging 
with things that elicit an emotional reaction. And the more anger that they get exposed to, the more they interact and more they consume. Kind of interesting if it's true. The more angry we get on social media, on Facebook, the more we want to consume. And maybe that's that back and forth. Somebody posts something, so you write a rant about it, type a rant. Then they respond, then you look to respond, then they respond, and you look to respond, then other people jump in. And then you go to someplace else, and you see someone else post something, so you're going to support that. But then people jump in, back and forth, back and forth. That's the engagement. That's what they like. And so that's what they do. So the angrier you get, the more content you consume, which equals to more money for Facebook. By the way, when the blackout happened on October 4th, apparently Mark Zuckerberg lost $7 billion as a uh, fallout. Wow. Could you imagine having so much wealth that you can lose $7 billion? Unbelievable. But hey, we're the one, apparently that's providing it with our anger. Like I said, Facebook, social media can be a great thing, and it is a great thing. And in fact, when you listen to the social experiment, you watch the documentary, The Social Experiment, it was good. The intent was good. Take, for example, that ill-fated like button. We all want to see how many likes we get. And if we don't get enough likes, we get disappointed. Maybe get depressed, get bummed out. But the intent of the like button was to be a positive to let people know that, hey, I like what you do. But then our psyche, our psychology changed it to a negative thing. And instead of, oh, I've got people that like what I have, oh, I didn't get enough likes, and so therefore now I'm depressed. So the platforms started out, and they still may have benefits that are in there. And people, maybe like Francis Haugen, that want to see Facebook and other social media platforms be used for good, But maybe in all of this craziness that the world has gotten into, maybe they've gotten off track. And maybe these insiders are going to try to bring it back on track. We'll have to see. So you have anger being welled up inside you, swelling up. That tsunami of the the emotion of anger taking over. And so you lash out. And the more you do it, the more money Facebook makes. But let's say adults, okay? Adults are angry, fighting over the election, fighting over COVID. From my experience, uh, a part of being in education for a number of years and dealing with younger people, they don't really get into the politics or all that stuff. They're more into the, hey, look at me, look what I'm wearing, look at my fashion, look where I'm going. You know, status is what it comes down to. And so for them, that's where the danger becomes. Okay, remember you have Back in the day, well, it's still around, but, you know, you had Cosmopolitan, the Cosmopolitan lifestyle, the Sex and the City lifestyle, the Vogue lifestyle, all these magazines of these women that look incredible, look perfect, and you'd get the magazine, I guess, if you were someone that enjoyed that. Maybe the younger gals would look at the Vogues and the, what, Teen Magazine and all those other things. I was never really into magazines, so I don't really know what the hip magazines were, except Sports Illustrated and the sporting news. But so you look at the different magazines and you see the, the women, how perfect they were, let alone the airbrushing that would go on and the photo corrections, but they were perfect. People tried to live up to that, live up to that look, live up to that standard of life, that quality of life, that Cosmo life. Then it was, you know, back in the day, keeping up with the Joneses, 
Now we keep up with the Kardashians who are going away, so we're going to have to keep up with something else. But now young girls look at the people on social media and they try to compare themselves to the people that they see. And again, the rule is the fantasy is always better than the reality. We don't know what the lives of those people on social media are like. They might look great. They might look like they have in the time of their life. Everything might look rosy in the pictures. You know, you've got all kinds of filters to filter out all the bad. But there could be a lot of things on that other side of the picture that aren't so well. But yet we envy those people. We want to be like those people. We want to look like those people. And so how does that have an effect on us? And especially the young women, the young girls. You know, obviously, not being a teenage girl, I don't know anything about this ever, but I would imagine there's a lot of comparison going on. You know, it kind of somewhat happens with guys a little bit, but not too much. But with women, I'm sure, and young girls, I'm sure there's a lot of comparing themselves. I wish I looked like that person. I wish I looked less like me and more like this person. I remember one time I was talking to a student at a college. She was a singer, wanted to be an aspiring singer, but she didn't know if she could make it. I said, well, why? Is your singing not that good? Maybe get some lessons. Is your voice too baritone and you need to be more tenor? I don't know. And she said, no, her nose to her lip, the, the, the point of her nose to the top of her upper lip ratio was off. I was like, what? Yeah, she did not like the way she looked with her nose to the top of her upper lip. It was off. And that just bugged her. She wanted to get it fixed. And she thought that was going to keep her from being a successful singer. I'm, trying to, I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to rationalize this. I'm thinking, I'm like, What's going to keep you from being a singer is your singing ability, not the tip of your nose, not the way you look. Now, granted, we're in a vainful, vanity-filled society, so, okay, I understand that looks do attribute to success as well, but your singing is going to be the main thing. If you can sing, those little things, those little imperfections that you see aren't going to hold you back. But she was dead set that that was going to, why? Because she compared herself to all the other beautiful singers out there, and she felt she didn't add up. Where do you get that? Well, one possibility could be a place like Instagram. And what's super tragic is Facebook's own research says, as these young women begin to consume this eating disorder content, they get more and more depressed, and it actually makes them use the app more. And so they end up in this feedback cycle where they hate their bodies more and more. Facebook's own research says it is not just that Instagram is dangerous for teenagers, that it harms teenagers. It's that it is distinctly worse than other forms of social media. So Instagram is way worse than other platforms when it comes to the harm that it does for young girls, at least according to Francis Haugen, the whistleblower. And there's other documentation, there's other articles out there that have talked about this. But it's kind of interesting that you have a platform that does more harm than good to young people. Are we starting to see a pattern here? So let's talk about the angst that we get from Facebook. The angrier we get, the more we consume, the more we consume, the more money is made. So the algorithm benefits or is designed to make us angrier so that we consume more, so more money can be made. Instagram, bodies, body shaming, body image, eating disorder, thoughts of suicide, all these negative negative things increase, but yet we consume more. You think we'd put it off. 
and turn it off. But we consume more, and the cycle, the spiraling downward continues. So it's an app where the content that we consume, whether we're adults arguing about masks, vaccines, elections, politics, or young girls looking at other women's body images and thinking that we don't compare, so therefore thoughts of suicide and depression go up, but yet we still consume more and more and more. Now, according to The Social Dilemma, which I've been talking about, it's the documentary that talks about the negative effects of social media. So here, Francis Haugen talks about Instagram and the images that these young girls see and how they feel when they look at them. And then you have the statistic that you know, 13% of Instagram users, or, or I should say suicide, thoughts of suicide, has increased 13% in young women. And eating disorders have increased 17% based on, I guess, studies that they've done. And that Instagram is the, probably the worst platform when it comes to social media for the negative side of life for young women. And so you get all this negative stuff going on. There has been a gigantic increase in depression and anxiety for American teenagers, which began right around between 2011 and 2013. The number of teenage girls out of 100,000 in this country who are admitted to a hospital every year because they cut themselves or otherwise harm themselves, that number was pretty stable until around 2010, 2011. And then it begins going way up. It's up 62% for older teen girls. It's up 189% for the preteen girls. That's nearly triple. Even more horrifying, we see the same pattern with suicide. The older teen girls, 15 to 19 years old, they're up 70% compared to the first decade of the century. The preteen girls, who have very low rates to begin with, they are up 151%. And that pattern points to social media. Imagine that. Here, according to the social dilemma, you have depression increasing 62% in young girls, 189% in preteen girls, based on what they see, what they consume. Suicide, 70% increase for young girls, 151% increase for preteen girls. So again, even though social media does have some good things, we got to take a look at these negative things because if depression, I mean, we were just in a pandemic where everybody was locked down, mental health issues skyrocketed, and everybody jumped on social media. Is it no wonder our mental health in America right now is at probably one of the worst places it's ever been? And yet we're not doing anything about it. We're politicizing it. We're making this political party the bad guy or this political party, the root of the evil, or that administration did it all. Really? Somebody's making money off of all this. Maybe it's time to to rethink how we use the platforms. Maybe keep some of this in mind. It's kind of like, you know, when you invest in stock, you know there's going to be a risk, right? You could win some, you could lose some. You could lose $7 billion in one day like Mark Zuckerberg supposedly did. Or you can make a lot, like if you were on that uh, GameStop app, perhaps, you know, the GameStop uh, thing on uh, the stock market, Robinhood or whatever it was. A lot of people made some money on those things. 
So there's risk. So maybe we need to realize the risk involved in social media, the not-so-innocent platforms, and gauge the risk. You know, I'm going to try to invest and get good returns on what I do versus investing in the bad returns. Maybe you need to get rid of some people on social media, you know, just to clear out that anger. Why have that confrontation all the time? Just get rid of it. It doesn't have to be anything personal. It could just be, you know what, that's a bad stock. It's losing money. It's making me angrier. I'm just going to get rid of it. And so you dump it. You sell it, right, before you bottom out. Not that difficult to kind of compare the stock market and investing into other things that we do. If you're going to invest in a stock, you're going to do research. Is it good? Is it bad? What's the company or companies like? Are they good companies? Are they doing good things? Is it going to be a long-term or short-term? You have to take all this information into consideration before you invest, or at least hopefully you do. So maybe we should do that in other areas such as social media. We can get good returns by who we connect with, get good returns by the content we consume, get good returns on how we use it, but we can also get negative returns. And maybe it's time for adults to step up and be responsible. If you've got uh, preteens or young teens, maybe you should keep them off social media. It's going to be a fight. But maybe for their mental health, it's a good thing. Talk to them. You know what? When you are older, set an age. I don't know. When you're 16, we can talk about it. You know what? If you really want to put a young teen or a preteen on social media, put them on Facebook and then like make it private, they'll get no friends because nobody of that age is on Facebook. And if you keep it private, nobody can join in. And now you control everything. Actually, I'm being facetious, but you know what I mean? Because Facebook is for the older generation. All these Snapchats and other things are for the younger generation. But, you know, we got to be strategic about how we do things. You know, I remember when it was a uh, makeup was a big deal when a when a young gal could first wear makeup. Or when you could date, single date. Then it was when you get a phone. Then when you get a smartphone. Or maybe it was a pager first, then a phone. You know, there's these times where you had to decide whether or not your child was going to get something. When it was good and healthy for young people to have something. Maybe having social media might not be good for young people. And maybe parents, grownups, those in positions of kind of authority over them. Maybe we need to rethink the social media that they're being a part of. So depression goes up 62%, 189% in preteen girls, suicide 70% for young girls, 151% increase in preteens, according to the social dilemma. Francis Haugen, the whistleblower, puts information on uh, 60 Minutes and in the Wall Street Journal about the negative effects towards young women. And so, yeah, maybe there is something there. There's a couple sources now citing this, so maybe it is true. So when big tech denies it, well, maybe they're trying to protect themselves, cover themselves. But why would they do that? Why would they put that stuff out there? Well, I think we've kind of figured out why they do that. We've created a system that, that biases towards false information. Not because we want to, but because false information makes the companies more money than the truth. The truth is boring. It's a disinformation for profit business model. You make money the more you allow unregulated messages to reach anyone for the best price. So again, like most businesses, it comes down to money. It comes down to a lot of money. The dirty deeds done dirt cheap for major profit. That's what it's about. 
Sure, again, there was some other motives for inventing the platforms. I mean, you know, Tom from MySpace, we all were friends with Tom if you had MySpace. Um, a way to connect, a way to meet people, a way to catch up, share photos, things like that. But the platform has, and the idea of social media has transformed over the years. There's no regulation, nothing like that. And maybe that's the problem. No one is governing what's going on like every other entity around. Now, this next clip is pretty interesting because it's uh, basically true. So in this little clip that I'm going to play, you have Tim Kendall. He's one that comments. He is the or was the president of Pinterest at one time, if he's not still, but I think he's former president of Pinterest. He was a Facebook executive. You have another guy, Azza Raskin. He was big at Firefox and Mozilla, plus some other things. These are just the, probably the tech names I thought you would recognize. You had Tristan Harris, who was a big wig at Google. And I think there was one or two others that were in this clip that I'm going to play that were a part of the stuff that was going on in the development of big tech as we know it today. And so when you listen to this clip, the big thing to take away that I got, but there's a lot of things in there, is that drugs and the Internet are the only two entities where we refer to the people that use them as users. Rewind a few years ago, I was the, uh, I was the president of Pinterest. I was coming home and I couldn't get off my phone once I got home, despite having two young kids who needed my love and attention. I was in the pantry, you know, typing away on an email or sometimes looking at Pinterest. God, this is classic irony. I am going to work during the day and building something that then I am falling prey to. And, and I couldn't, I mean, in some of those moments, I couldn't help myself. The one that I'm, I'm most prone to is Twitter. Um, used to be Reddit. I actually had to write myself software to break my addiction to reading Reddit. I'm probably most addicted to my email. I mean, really, I mean, I, I feel it. Well, I mean, it's, sort, it's, it's, it's interesting that knowing what was going on behind the curtain, I still wasn't able to control my usage. So that's a little scary. Even knowing how these tricks work, I'm still susceptible to them. I'll still pick up the phone and 20 minutes will disappear. Do you check your smartphone before you pee in the morning or while you're peeing in the morning? Because those are the only two choices. I tried through willpower, just pure willpower. Oh, I'll, I'll put down my phone. I'll leave my phone in the car when I get home. I think I told myself a thousand times, a thousand different days, I am not going to bring my phone to the bedroom. And then 9 p.m. rolls around. I want to bring my phone to the bedroom. And so that was sort of willpower was kind of attempt one. And then attempt two was, you know, brute force. <laughs> brute force to try to get off of social media. These are the people, again, that designed some of these things or were the former heads of these things like Pinterest, Facebook, and stuff like that. And they they had to hide in the pantry to be on it. They had to write software to break their addiction. They had to use brute force. Want to keep it out of the bedroom, but I have to bring it in at 9 o'clock. And again, you're talking about an addiction, just like drugs. Drugs and internet, the only two entities where the people who use them are referred to as users. And again, it keeps the documentation that comes out 
keeps going and going and going and proving that some of these things are true and being left unchecked. Even though we hear on Capitol Hill from these bigwigs on big tech that they're trying to fix things, as the years go by, it's only getting worse. So again, when you have the uh, Wall Street Journal, so you have the whistleblower coming out in the Wall Street Journal, and then you have Frances Haugen revealing herself on 60 Minutes, and you listen to some of the things that she said there. If you want to go and read some of the articles on uh, Wall Street Journal, it was a series, so there's a series of articles. Um, and some of the quick things, the highlights from it real quick, just real quick, was that the documents show time and time again that Facebook researchers have identified that the platform does have ill effects. And despite congressional hearings and their own pledges and the media exposés on it, they haven't fixed them. One of the big things that Wall Street Journal reported from these documents that the whistleblower got, she apparently copied tens of thousands of documents and gave them the Wall Street Journal, internal memos, things like that, uh, company policies, all different kinds of things, was that Facebook knows that Instagram is toxic for many teen girls. They've known that. 32% of teen girls said that they felt bad about their bodies already, didn't like the way they looked, and then when they go to Instagram, it made them feel worse. They have made body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. Teens blame uh, Instagram for the increase in the rate of anxiety and depression. And more than 40%, this is a key stat, more than 40% of Instagram users are 22 years old and younger. And about 22 million teens log on to Instagram every day. Remember when you were growing up, it was trying to keep the bad men out of the bedrooms, you know, the prey, the predators, right? And then when the internet first came on it was again now we're inviting them into the room into the house not physically but through the computer now it's smartphones and people can prey upon young people on the smartphones right there at the fingertips and so here a platform that is obsessed with body image and these young girls preteens teens maybe adults feel worse when they look at it, maybe there's a way we can try to change that. You know, I know sometimes people will put up the uh, no makeup, no hair thing, or, you know, this is me on natural, no makeup, you know, wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, here's pictures. You know, but that only works for a little bit. You know, it's changing the culture. How do you change the culture on something like that? How do you change the culture of somebody that is looking at Instagram, comparing themselves and feeling worse. It's almost like you have to turn it off. But yet we're addicted to it, so we can't turn it off. Because did you survive October 4th when it did get turned off? Were you able to make it through the day without obsessing over it? You know, and apparently as Facebook tried to make its platform safer, it got angrier. And again, we all know that. We all know that the uh, algorithms design what we see based on the likes, the content that we observe, the content that we take in, and that gives us the algorithm, and we see what it is that uh, Facebook thinks we want to see. And so as the medium, as the platform, apparently, according to these articles in the Wall Street Journal, started to become safer and started to become more vanilla let's say, maybe neutral, engagements went down. So in 2018, they changed the algorithm to try to make it more interesting 
okay, and to try to ease that decline in engagement. And the next thing you know, it got worse. It got angrier. The politics became divisive way beyond anything we've seen. The hate grew and grew, and the more we consumed, the more we engaged, the more engagements Facebook got, and it grew and grew, and more money it made. So despite the promote, uh, or despite uh, trying to not promote objectionable material, you know, the fact checkers and stuff, and the harmful content on there continued to grow. Here's the big thing, okay? So Facebook, as we all know, if you put something on there, you have the, about the vaccine or the pandemic, masks, whatever, you're going to get flagged. Hey, for more information, click this button for COVID-19. Well, here's how the platform, if you really want a true life example of how the platform can work, okay? So Mark Zuckerberg was a big proponent. He is for the vaccines, getting everybody vaccinated. He thought he could get the platform of Facebook to help promote vaccinations. And he thought it'd be a good thing. What he didn't realize was the blowback, the anti-vaccine information, the anti-vaxxers that would take to Facebook to promote anti-vaccine, promote alternative methods to fighting COVID, alternative medicines and therapies. Well, what happened? All of a sudden, his platform to promote vaccinations wasn't promoting vaccinations. And in fact, it was promoting anti-vaccinations. And so then all of a sudden, now you have a divide. So here was Mark Zuckerberg, pro-vaccinator, pro-vaccine, and he wanted to use his platform to push vaccines, but yet he got a lot of blowback, and so to combat that, now you get the fact checkers. So you see how it can change things because of his personal preference, because of his personal things? And then the fact checkers, of course, now it's become where they say one thing to this person and say, nope, we've got to take you down and fact check you because what you said is wrong. But then someone over here says the exact same, but the opposite, but because it's the right ideology. Think of what Gina Carano, the Star Wars gal that got banned because she said some things. But then the Mandalorian star himself said the exact same thing, but on the opposite side of the spectrum wasn't banned. So now you have censorship taking place. And so you have all these things going on Take a look at the July or the January 6th March on Congress. What was your perspective on that through social media? What information did you get from that on social media? And depending on the type of content that you look at, the type of engagements that you have engaged in, you might have gotten a different story. Or maybe people withheld information to push an agenda. Because if you can push an agenda through vaccinations like Mark Zuckerberg wanted to do, there's probably other people there that want to push an agenda. And they're pushing information. And again, I encourage you to watch the Social Dilemma on uh, Netflix. And then also the uh, Social Animals. I think you can rent it on YouTube. Fascinating to the insight of how social media runs and works, especially with the Social Dilemma from people that actually created it and were there in the foundational beginnings of it. And then Social Animals where people in the early stages, so to speak, were consuming it, the younger people. And so, you know, Facebook's effort to attract preteens, it went beyond Instagram. They tried to have a pre-Instagram, like a new Instagram for preteens, because, of course, that's an untapped market. The other thing, though, we've got to throw out there is TikTok. You know, September, the month of September, 
TikTok had a challenge where you were supposed to like vandalize school property or steal school property and then show it on Instagram. October, the rumor is slap a teacher. Now, I can't imagine this taking off, but again, someone might actually try to slap a teacher and get it on TikTok. Remember other challenges that social media has pushed forward, not necessarily Facebook, but other entities. You had the Tide Pod eating challenge where you eat the, you know, the, the laundry soap, Tide Pod in those pod things. The cinnamon challenge, and maybe I think it was like the ghost uh, powder, like a hot, a hot spicy powder that you put in your mouth and would cause suffocations and people had a hard time breathing because they're ingesting this fine dust. But it was a challenge put out there. You had this salt and ice challenge where you put salt on your skin and put an ice cube on it and you get burned severely and you'd see who would do it longer. Now, these are things that have kind of evolved because I remember when I was a kid, mom would be at the grocery store, we'd be there bored, so we'd go over to the frozen food section and we'd, we'd put our hand on the frozen peas to see who could keep it on there the longest, try to kill time, you know. So some of these things aren't really innovative because we did that. I guess that would be not the salt ice challenge, but hey, how long can you keep your hand on a bag of frozen peas? Or we'd go and open the uh, freezer doors and then fog up in the ice cream section and then we drop pictures on them or sayings they were appropriate we were kids we didn't think that way get your mind out of the gutter but so things like that as kids we did things now it's just becoming more promoted because of the reach of social media okay so as we move forward with the social media era because new things are going to come remember it was myspace then it became facebook now you have instagram you have Snapchat, you have TikTok, you have Clapper, you have Parler when the internet allows Parler to be on there. You have uh, WhatsApp, you have, who knows, all other kinds of things. And it's going to continue to grow as developers create more platforms. And as platforms change, we have to be, we have to have the mindset to know that this is what we're getting into. So here's the whole point of all this that we just went through. If we know that Facebook is promoting content that's going to make us angrier. And as we get angrier, we consume it more. Or as young teens have body image issues and they feel worse about it by looking at Instagram and thoughts of depression and suicide go up in the young women in our society. As these negative things take hold in our communities, see, we have to be aware that this is happening. Facebook, social media as a whole, isn't just evil by itself. Remember, anything, how it's used can be evil. A lot of gun, anti-gun people think that guns kill people. It's the argument, right? Guns kill people. Well, do people kill people? Well, if you put the gun on the table, unless someone picks it up and uses it, the gun's going to remain on the table and it's not going to do anything. It's when the person uses it. When the person uses the internet, Search things online. What are we searching? Posting things online. What are we posting? So it's the intent behind what we do that makes a difference. It's how we consume the information. And we can't just expect big tech to handle the problem. We need personal responsibility. We need to make sure that we look at what we're doing. Is this responsible? Sure, I can speak up against an ideology I don't like, but am I going to do it in a manner that's going to make people more angrier? Are we going to make it more evil? Or am I going to do it in a way that 
engages dialogue, presents a point. It's how we do it. There's oftentimes, and I've kind of done away with it, but especially back in the summer of 2020 with everything going on, sure, I'd fire off some stuff to incite somebody. And they'd fire it back, and off we'd go. And we're getting it on. Keyboard's blazing. But then I realized, you know what, that's just a waste of time. Why waste my time doing that when I can do other things? And so I cut back. But there's a lot of people. A lot of people I read Reddit. I know one guy. He was a college student of mine, and he lived by Reddit. Anything and everything that was on Reddit was gospel. What's he consuming? Why is he letting that influence himself? Why are we letting things on social media influence us when we know that misinformation, false information, spreads six times faster on Twitter? So what is it that we're consuming? We need to be careful. We need to make sure that we are aware of what we're consuming. We need to validate if it's true or not through other sources, not mainstream media. And we need to make sure that the manner in which we consume it isn't going to affect us in a negative way. We can disagree. We can not like it. We can turn it off. Same with the content that we produce. You know, it used to be in the day where you'd post pictures and some fun videos and it was great, but now it's become a volatile place. It's become a more influential place. You know, social media icons are known as people that influence others. Right? You're an influencer. So again, we need to make sure that the things that we do on social media, the stuff that we consume, we are in control of it. All the things we've gone over, all the negative things that have been highlighted in the show, we need to watch and make sure that we are aware of it and that we can control it and that we do our part to make it a safer place. And if you are someone that's a parent, perhaps, maybe teachers, maybe we need to encourage proper use. Maybe we need to address some of these issues. Maybe we need to address issues of body shaming, body imaging, and realize that the fantasy is always better than the reality. And people on the other end that we are envious of, they're having problems too. And it's okay if we're a little pudgy. Or it's okay if we're not perfect because, you know what, we're snowflakes. Each and every one of us is different and unique. There's no two snowflakes that are the same. That's us. And we are beautiful in our own way. We are beautiful by ourselves because that's how we were made. Just like the snowflakes are beautiful when they fall. Fall's coming. Winter's coming. Christmas is coming. You get those winter snowfalls. It's beautiful. We are beautiful. We have to encourage people to remind them, you know what? You are beautiful regardless. Don't compare yourself to other people because if you compare yourself to other people, you're only doing damage to yourself because you're not comparing yourself to the true them. You're comparing yourself to a photo that could have been filtered many times, photoshopped, who knows. But you know what? Put that aside and let's just look at you and how beautiful you are. Maybe we need to encourage positives like that in people. Because as we encourage other people, then the negative implications of social media could go away. We could start having a realistic expectation. Maybe we need to start having trends instead of Tide Pod eating, slapping teachers, vandalizing, stealing stuff, you know, things that are going to cause harm. Maybe we should start having positive challenges. Maybe somebody out there can come up with a positive challenge. You know, maybe like if you support teachers, put a yellow square on your social media saying you support teachers. If you support young teens, maybe just post a normal picture without all the makeup. You know, I see a lot of news anchors, uh, the women, posting a lot of stuff on TikTok and things. That's great. No big deal. But maybe do something without the makeup. Show them that it's just you. 
You know, maybe we get creative in the ways that we post stuff on social media to let the younger generation know that, hey, you can learn from us and this is what you can learn. It's not just the looks. Looks don't get all the likes. Talent can get likes. Other things can get likes besides just that filtered picture that was posted. It's our responsibility to make sure that the younger generation has a safe, a fun experience with social media. And if we need to rein them in, Maybe some tough gut choices need to be made. You check our gut and realize, hey, you know what? I need to rein this in because it's negative, because of the depression, the anxiety, the body image issues, the suicide rates have all gone up according to this information, according to documents uh, that have come out, according to documentaries of the people that actually put these platforms together. There's a huge negative side effect to social media, and we need to make sure that we do our part to be responsible to not contribute to that negativity. This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. Hey, check me out on Instagram at Two Steps Ahead Podcast, T-W-O, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. You can also find my personal page at uh, Edem Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. And then the best place to find anything and everything Two Steps Ahead is um, Radio Warp, W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You go there and you can find uh, the audio, the video. You can listen live Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern on RadioWarp.com. You can listen to episodes throughout the week. There's other podcasts as well on RadioWarp.com that you can listen to. There's a Listen Live button. Just click the Listen Live button. The media player pops up. You can listen to great music. Uh, we've got some 80s music. We've got some pop music. We've got music from around the world, topping the charts. So a lot of great uh, entertainment that you can uh, listen to. We've got uh, a phone app, so you can go to your app store and just search Radio Warp. Again, that's W-A-R-P, Radio Warp app, A-P-P, Radio Warp app. Download the app and take it with you on the go. Just put it on your phone and off you go. If you're going for a jog, going to go to the gym, maybe sit in your cubicle, and you want something different, something maybe new, something refreshing, RadioWarp.com. There's also a merchandise shop. If you click the merchandise shop, pops up. Maybe there's some items in there. Maybe it's hoodie season and you need to get your hoodie. You can go there and do that. Some long sleeve shirts, some T-shirts, whatever it might be. And so uh, we appreciate your uh, listenership. We appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. You guys have a great week. Take your passion. Make it happen. Let yourself be great. This is Two Steps Ahead podcast, RadioWarp.com. We'll see you next time.